Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Four weeks with just one verse. But I got to tell you something. You know, it's not like I'm trying to figure out how to have four messages on one verse. I've already had to cut the message that I figured I was going to do week four and bring something else in new that God showed me this week. So really, I, I believe we could do 10, 15, 20 weeks just on this one verse. But it is a great verse out of the Bible. Many of you have committed it to life memory. Some of you would just say it's your life verse. Some of you have it in uh, artwork on your walls in your house or jewelry. And a few of you have it on ink, in ink on your body somewhere. But it is a phenomenal verse. And so today, let's just go right back into it. And by the way, if you didn't, get the, if you didn't catch the message last week, you might want to just get it online or get it on our app because I'll be talking about stuff today that kind of is based on what we talked about last week. I'll put a little review in today. But you might want to watch that talk because it'll help today's talk make more sense. But here we go. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you. In all these years of pastoring and leading churches, I've talked with scores of people, maybe hundreds of people who have maybe become disillusioned in their faith because they expected certain things out of life and they didn't materialize. I think it's time for us just to have a moment of very blunt honesty. Oftentimes what happens even for those of us who believe in God and are Christ followers, we tend to have plans for our life and we pretty well say this to God, God, here are the plans that I have for you. And it's sort of like, you know, you ever, you ever like uh, have to get a parking ticket validated, you know, if you go into a corporate office or something and there's a parking garage and you always give them your, your ticket and say, you know, stamp this. I think there are a lot of Christians who have the idea that that's how it works in our Christian life. We have our plans. God loves us, has a wonderful plan for our life. Really, at the end of the day, we, God loves us, but we have a wonderful plan for our life. And it's God, here is my plan. But that's not what the Bible says. God says, I know the plans that I, God speaking, have for you. And, and it's important that we recognize that God oftentimes can take a whole series of bad things and turn them for good. I've watched that in my own life, that God can take a series of unfortunate things that have happened in my life and he can weave them together and make a tapestry of grace. In fact, there are things right now in my life that I would not have enormous blessings. I would not have those blessings if God hadn't taken me through a valley first. In fact, it would, it, I needed a valley. I mean, I, I know I've given you this illustration so many times and I won't, I won't go into it very long, but every week, you know, I offer people a box if you just pray to receive Christ. I always say there's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God. I wrote that book on the darkest night of my life. I didn't even know I was writing a book. I was just writing about salvation because I was just in such a discouraged time. I dealt with some physical issues and just was in such a dark time of my life that I, I, I just didn't know what else to do, and I just started writing about salvation. Our staff had been after me to write a book for those who just accepted Christ. And I have ADD. Sitting still long enough to write a book is a challenge for me. I never forget the day I looked at that manuscript and thought, that is my book. And you know what? There are times I'll read that book. I, I, I look at it, and I think, I don't think I could write that book today. I was just in a place of going through a deep spiritual valley, and I, I wrote out of desperation. Well, I, I just think there's so many things as I look at my life and I think, oh God, I wouldn't have this blessing. I wouldn't have this opportunity if you hadn't taken me through a dark valley. But here's my challenge. I didn't know that when I was going through the valley. 
I, I mean, when I wrote that, I didn't know that was going to be a book that several hundred thousand people read right after they accepted Christ. I, had, I mean, we hear, we hear stories from prisons. They're saying that book has started a revival in our prison. I didn't know that when I wrote that. And so that's my challenge because oftentimes we evaluate God by our experience right now. And if our experience isn't good, we'll say, God, those weren't the plans that I had for you. But our God is a God who can take the darkest moments of our life and he can make them into the brightest opportunities that we can possibly imagine. In the book of Romans, in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and I love the New International Version translation. It's like three phrases. In all things, God works for good. It doesn't say all things are good. It says in all things, God works for good. You could be here today and you say, Mark, I'm living a circumstance right now. I don't see how anything good can come out of it. I know you can't, but God can. I mean, he can take our darkest moment and make it our brightest opportunity. So I just want to go there so that we understand that Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a God follower saying, God, I know the plans that I have for you. It is God up in heaven, the creator of the universe, looking down on you and me and saying, I know the plans that I have for you. And then the next line says, there are plans for good. You know, there's a Hebrew word there that uh, you know. In fact, the word for good there, I know you know this word. You say, Mark, I, don't, I never studied Hebrew. Yeah, but you know this word because the word there is shalom. God said, the plans that I have for you are plans for shalom. I, I, I enjoy going to Israel so much. And when you're in Israel, people say that all the time. And no matter where you are, that's the greeting. That's the last thing they say. Shalom, shalom. Shalom means peace or even a better word is well-being. So that's what God is saying. God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're plans for shalom. They're plans for well-being. And not for disaster. Now, that's not necessarily all that important for everybody here right now. But somebody I'm talking to right now needs this very much. Because you're looking at your life and you're saying, Mark, I feel like I'm sailing into a disaster. My husband, my husband just came home and said he didn't love me anymore. And he's filed for a divorce and told me I need to get a lawyer. And I'm headed for a disaster. A mark, I think I'm headed for a disaster where I work. A mark, I'm dealing with emotional problems right now. I just feel like I'm headed for a disaster. Well, we probably could find legitimate reasons on a human level for feeling that we're headed for a disaster. But, hey, we're working on a higher level. See, that's the thing. We're playing checkers. God's playing 3D chess. And God, God is up in heaven saying, I got plans for you. And they're plans for shalom. And they're not for disaster. And then God says that his plans for us are to give us two things, a future. Oh, I've, I've just, I've pastored so many people through the years, so many thousands of people. And tragically, some of them have let me know at times and seasons in their life, Mark, I just don't feel like I have a future anymore. Oh, my goodness. If you're God's daughter and you're willing to do things God's way, he's got a, got a future for you. By the way, I want to preach week four right now, but I can't just... Trust me, that's going to be great when we get there. God has a future for you. And then he said to give you a future and a hope. Now, when you come across that word hope in the Bible, you need to know that it means something different than we tend to meet, mean by it culturally. If I say I hope it's going to rain tomorrow, you know what I mean by that. It might rain. It might not rain. In fact, in Kansas right now, it's probably not going to rain. But if I say I hope something happens, I mean... I don't know if it's a possibility or not. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Hope in the Bible is never like that. In fact, there's a synonym for hope in the Bible that you probably ought to go ahead and supply when you come across the word hope. For instance, the Bible talks about the blessed hope 
of Christ followers, and that is the hope of Jesus' return. It doesn't mean maybe Jesus will come back, maybe he will not come back. The synonym is confidence. So whenever you find hope in the Bible, it almost always means confidence. So think about the beauty of this awesome verse that we have in Jeremiah 29, 11. God is like, I know the plans that I have for you. And they're plans for shalom. And they're not for disaster to give you a future. And then the confidence that God will execute that future according to his plans, which never fail. Well, that's not the sermon yet. So that's, does that count against my time? Now, here's the thing. Somebody could be here last week, you watched it online, watched it on television last week, and you say, Mark, I heard the message last week, but it's not for me. Maybe it's for the average person here. But you know what? This idea of God, I'm not even, I'm not even going to let myself believe it's possible because I've just had my heart broken too many times. I've just been so discouraged too many times. When you tell me that the word of God says that God knows the plans he has for me and they're not for disaster, they're for shalom to give me a future and a hope, Mark, it's just not for me. Maybe it's for the person next to me. Maybe it's for the person behind me. Maybe it's for you, but it's not for me. See, Mark, the problem is you don't know what I'm coming out of. If you knew the problems and the heartbreak that I was coming out of, you wouldn't even talk to me about a future. Because see, here's the thing. What I've been through, my life will never be right again. I've just been through such a horrible thing, such a horrible season. Don't even tell me about this promise that God has because my heart's just been broken too many times. Or it could be, <laughs> Mark, you don't know what I'm headed into. I'm headed into the darkest season of my life, and I don't see anything bright in my future, and I'm not even willing to let myself believe that God has got a wonderful plan for my life. Maybe it's okay for other people, but it's not for me. I just want you to know in this simple message today, it is definitely for you. It is definitely for you. In fact, I'm going to prove that today. The old debater in me is coming out because I don't want you to think, oh, March is blowing sunshine at us. I want you to know this is for you today if you want it to be. Because see, this prophecy was given to Judah. And if you were with me last week, you know the history here. But let me just say this. The people of Judah that were willing to listen to God, everything behind them was bad. In fact, they were about to go into captivity because the people of Judah had lived in idolatry. And God is just reaching out for anybody who will listen to him. But they, everything they could see in their past was bad. And they were facing captivity in the future. So everything they could see in the future was bad. No matter where they looked, there was a thunderstorm. And it was to these people, these people who were coming out of bad and going into bad. I mean, it was to these people that God said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, again, I, I want to be real clear about something, and I hope I got this across last week. There were a lot of people in Judah that weren't going to listen to God on this, but there were some who did. By the way, does the name Daniel ring a bell? Oh, I think that Daniel's mom and daddy would have been pastored by Jeremiah. Some of the unsung heroes of the, of the Bible, I think, are Daniel's mom and daddy. I think it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. See, they were kids in Kids World in Jeremiah's church. That's right. You saw me just slip that right in there. But that's okay because some of you, you're living, we're living in a world that's scary right now, but you're in here listening to the word of God and your kids are in Kids World right now, just like Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was preaching this. Here's the thing I want to point out, and I said all that to say this. It might be a good time for us to remember that God doesn't see us as part of a crowd. 
I grew up in religion, and now, there's some good beneficial things out of that. Here at New Spring, we're always saying we're not into religion, we're into relationship with God. Many of us grew up in religion. I think one of the problems of religion, and I, I don't mean that, I, I'm, I, what I mean by that is just a man-made system. One of the problems with that is we sort of get this idea that we're part of a group, and God doesn't see us individually. He just sees us as, as part of a crowd. But the thing about God is, see, God knows you individually. He knows you personally. I mean, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows your name. We, Debbie just, Deb just led us in that a few moments ago. He knows your name. He knows where you live. See, the thing about God is he knows more about you than your parents knew about you. He, he knows more about you than your husband or wife knows about you. He knows more about you than your best friend does. And this is the one that just amazes me. He knows more about me than I know about myself. Then that's why I can't believe my feelings. Because when I get discouraged or when I get down or I start thinking Mark is never going to change, see, I begin to believe what I know about me. I need to believe the one who made me. I need to go back to the manufacturer's manual. Because the thing about it is... He knows me better than I know myself. He doesn't just see you as one in a crowd. He sees you today. Hmm. Well, a little history here, a little review from last week. God to the people of Judah will give you a choice between life or death. And it must have blown their minds because it was just the opposite of what they thought. God said, if you want to live, go out and surrender the Babylonians. Well, I don't want to re-preach last message, but the Babylonians were the most evil people in the world. Babylon has always been the anti Jerusalem. Like I said, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of the Antichrist in the, in the tribulation, calls it Babylon. But now God says to the people of Judah, listen, I know up is now down and down is now up, but if you want to live, choose life, go out and surrender the Babylonians. If you want to choose death, just stay here in Jerusalem. And then on top of that, God said to them, you're going to be there a while. And he said, just get on with life. Just keep living. Put one foot in front of the other. Love God, love your family, pay your bills. Just keep doing, just keep doing what you do. Because here's the thing, and this is always important to remember, if you stop doing what you do, you may stop being who you are. So God said, go on to Babylon. I mean, that, that, that's, that's my plan for you. you. You're going to be in a place you never thought you would be, and you're going to be there for a while. And I'm talking to somebody here today, and that's where you are. You're just like, Mark, I'm a God follower. I just never thought I'd be where I am today. I never thought I'd be divorced. I never thought I would have an emotional disorder. I just never thought my best friends would turn on me. And, and I'm in Babylon right now. Well, what do you do when you're in Babylon? We talked about that last week, and, and that was our question. And God just said, get on with life. Just keep functioning. Now, it could be that somebody heard the talk last week, and you said, I will do that. And I know that that's the case because I've seen the responses of a lot of you. Some of you here at South Camp, South Auditorium and North Auditorium, others of you watching online, watching on television. One of the cool things that we, we get a lot of information from is we have people who watch us in prison and their lives turn around. By the way, did you know because of your generosity, we give Bibles in that book I talked about a few moments ago. We're in 43 prisons across the United States because of your generosity. And I, I love getting letters, you know, from all these different situations. And I don't get to read all of them, but I get to read some. And they just, so I, I know what some of you were saying last week. You're like, okay, Mark, I, I, I'm going to buy in. I mean, I'm, I will trust God, even though he doesn't seem to make any sense. I'm going to surrender to his grace and accept what I can't change. I'm going to keep functioning in a world made worse by choices that I didn't have the privilege of making. 
I'm going to keep functioning. And you bought in last week. But suppose you, suppose you bought into that and for a whole week now, you've been functioning. You just you know, kept going and you're in Babylon and you didn't plan to be there, but that's where you are. And you kept functioning and you've been doing it for a week and nothing has changed. And you're like, I don't know if Jeremiah 29, 11 is true. What if you keep doing it for a month and nothing changes? God forbid, what if you do it for a year and you're in Babylon and you're doing what you do, but you just don't feel anything changing? I think that happened to people of Judah. I mean, I think some of them said, okay, God said, choose life, go out and surrender the Babylonians. So we went there, we built a house like he told us to, we, we planted some gardens and we, we had, you know, we're pregnant with our first kid. We've been there a whole year and nothing's changing. Maybe we'll just give up on God. If last week's talk's question was, how do you keep going, excuse me, what do you do when life puts you in Babylon? Today's question is, how do you keep going when things in Babylon don't seem to change? I'm going to take a deep breath before I say this because what I'm going to say next could sound cold. But I'm going to tell you what I say to myself. I have... Um, you didn't come to hear about me, but I have no pastels in my personality. I have nothing but bright colors. I mean, I'm not type A, I'm type triple A. I am about the most intense human being you've ever met in your life. So I have had, and I hate to admit this, but confession's good for the soul. I've had some seasons in my life where I was angry at God. I thought I was trying to do the right thing. I mean, some of us, I mean, it's been a long time here, but just in pastoring this church, I just like, God, I'm pushing to the breaking point. And I believe I'm listening to you. I believe I'm doing what you want me to do. And I hate to admit this, but just keeping it real here, I've gotten to the place where I've said this to God. God, if you can't manage the universe any better than that, I'm just going to check out. Now, thankfully, I've only felt that way for about 10 minutes. But I want to tell you what I've heard every time that I've gotten to that place. And thankfully, there haven't been many, but there have been some. And that is this. And instantly, it would come to my heart, giving up on God will not make my circumstances any better. You know, I've met people that just have had that feeling. Listen, if, if God won't manage the universe any better than that, then I'm checking out on God. I'm checking out on God. But the first thing that came to my mind is giving up on God's going to change my circumstances. Here's my choice. I can either go through what I'm going through with God, or I can go through what I'm going through without God and all things being equal. I'd rather give, go through my circumstances and have God there in, the, in my boat. I tell Mary Alice this all the time, and I just cannot convince her of this. We've been married a lot of years, and I've just told her some of the greatest spiritual lessons come out of the NFL football. Somehow, she just doesn't get that. It's not in her spirit. So y'all pray for her. You know, she's listening to the sermon say, y'all pray for Mark. I've been watching NFL football since I was a little boy. And of all the seasons I can remember um, that the Dallas Cowboys didn't win the Super Bowl, uh, and that's been a long time. The 2007 season always stands out to me. Because on that season, everybody was talking about the New England Patriots because they were in the process of going through a season undefeated. And only that, they weren't just beating everybody. They were crushing everybody. And everybody was wondering who's going to be the sacrificial lamb that plays the Patriots in the Super Bowl. 
Well, all that time, the New York Giants were just bouncing along the bottom, and they finally slunk into the playoffs, and nobody expected them to do anything. But in the first playoff game, they managed to win, but everybody knew they were going to lose the next game because they were going up the, against the Green Bay Packers in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. You can almost hear John Facinda's voice right there. And that's, that's a hard place to play in January. I mean, my Cowboys have suffered there in the Ice Bowl. So sure enough, when the Giants go up there, the Packers get up on them, and, and it's cold that day. I think it's about four or five degrees above zero, but halftime came, the sun went down, and the temperature dropped to minus three, chill factor of minus 24. And Giants are behind, and you know how it is. The Giants now are coming out of the locker room, and one of those sideline reporters with the microphone goes up to Michael Strahan and asks him, listen, you guys must have spent most of halftime talking about playing in this awful weather. You must have said a whole lot of things about what it feels like to play in below zero. What are some of the things that you said? Strahan said, we didn't say any of those things. He said, we only said one thing. We're in it. We might as well win it. And that's where you are today. I mean, the thing of it is, if you're going through a difficult time, you're in it, you may as well win it. I mean, there's, there's no sense of checking out on God because God's got an enormous promise working. But here's where the football metaphor breaks down. Football is a game of mechanics. What you're dealing with is not a game of mechanics because you've got all kinds of issues that are spiritual in nature. For one thing, you got circumstances that you can't change, and you're in spiritual warfare. And this talk is not about spiritual warfare today, but I just would love to remind every husband and wife here today that your husband or your wife is in spiritual warfare, and you're in spiritual warfare. There's two very imperfect people, and you're in spiritual warfare. Remember, the Bible says we never fight against flesh and blood. Who am I talking to? I didn't say this in the other services, but just somebody had a fight on the way to church. And, and right now, you, you know, you're just kind of like sitting over away from your husband or wife. And you're like, she told him. No, she didn't, she didn't tell me. You know, that's where we are. I mean, this is not blocking and tackling. This is, this is warfare in the heavens. Now, that brings me to what I need to say to you right now. I got bad news and good news for you. The bad news is you cannot do this by yourself. The good news is you're not in it by yourself. Because, see, here's the thing. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a God plus you proposition. I mean, listen to the language one more time. And I think I have this emphasis up on the IMAG screens. God says, I know the plans I have for you. See, it's God in you, says the Lord. Their plans were good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Now, for the rest of this talk, I just have two simple thoughts. I'll give them to you, and then we'll go home or go wherever we're going to go, all right? I want to take you back to the Old Testament, and I want to show you a Bible story from this era. And we're going to pick up these two thoughts. Here's the first one. This thing of God planning shalom for you is for anybody. There is not a person in South Auditorium where I'm speaking or North Auditorium, nobody watching online, watching on television, there is nobody here today who can leave this service and say, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not for me because I want you to know everybody who's breathing today has access to this enormous promise to God. So I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to say anything out loud, but in your, home, in your spirit, you need to say, this is for me. I choose to make this for me. That's the first point. God can do this for anybody. Here's the second point. God will orchestrate, but we got to cooperate. 
Did I say that one more time? Because this is not a matter of just sitting down in a chair and saying, okay, God says he has plans for me, but I'm just going to sit here and veg and wait till it happens. No, God will do the planning. God will do the execution. God will orchestrate, but this is big. You and I have to cooperate. Let's start with the first one. God will enroll anyone in his wonderful plans who will let him. Forgive a few minutes of ancient history. I want you to meet a guy named Ahaz, A-H-A-Z. Ahaz is king of Judah. Now, remember, God is dealing with Judah here. I mean, this promise that we have in Jeremiah 29, 11 is given to Judah, but this is a little bit, a few years before. And so Ahaz, who is king of Judah, well, let's read about him. 2 Kings 16, 2. Ahaz was 20 when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. So 20 became king, died at 36. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel, northern kingdom, even, look at this, look at this new spring, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. Now, this was an outgrowth of the Canaanite religion because the Canaanites and the Moabites worshipped uh, God, small g, called uh, Chemosh. And this God, this big idol was like a, it had a hollowed out belly that was actually a furnace. And the people had the belief in this pagan, weird, wicked culture that if they, if they had something they needed, they could sacrifice a baby by putting this baby in the fire of the oven. And so I just want you to know how bad this guy was. I mean, the Bible says Ahaz not only did those things which are displeasing in the sight of the Lord, the Bible said he went to the extreme of sacrificing his own son in the fire. He, he offered sacrifices and burned incense at the pagan shrines on the hills and under every green tree. Well, he's a bad guy. He does bad stuff. And no surprise, he got into bad trouble. There was a point in his kingdom when the word came. Let's read. The news had come to the royal court of Judah, Syria, major power, is allied with Israel, northern kingdom, against us. So, and this is weird because the people of Israel were also Jews. It was kind of like his worst enemy and his best friend linked up together against him. Some of you know what that's like. And no wonder the Bible says the hearts of the king and his people tremble with fear. Look at this. Like trees shaking in a storm. Anybody ever, ever have such fear that you just cannot almost stop shaking? And that's where they were. So what did Ahaz do? I mean, we want to hear that Ahaz went, to, like, like Hezekiah and other kings, we want to hear that Ahaz just got on his knees before God and said, God, I'm in trouble, help me. But he didn't. Let's read. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria. Time out. Now, I guess in the ways of the world, Ahaz would have looked like a savvy guy because he started looking at the Assyrians and he thought, you know what? I think these people are going somewhere. And they were. They became the first dominant world empire. They weren't there yet. They were on their way. So Ahaz says, okay, if I'm going to win this battle, I got to go find the meanest people on the block. And so I'm going to go ask the Assyrians to come and help me. Look at the pathetic statement that he makes to the king of Assyria. He said, I am your servant. I'm your slave. We don't want to hear the king of God's people talking like that. But he said, he said, I'm your slave. And then if that's not bad enough, he said, I'm your vassal. Come and help me. Come and rescue me. And this story is in three books of the Bible. We know what he did. He went and took all the gold out of the temple. He took, he took the gold off the furniture. He took the gold off the doors. And he like paid all this money to the king of Assyria to say, come and help me. But look at what happened, New Spring. 
2 Chronicles 28, 20. So when the king of Assyria arrived, he attacked Ahaz instead of helping him. Isn't that pathetic? Oh, all of a sudden, this is going to get real modern. Here's the point. If you and I depend on anything but God to help us, even if it seems to help us for a while, we'll instantly become its slave, and eventually it will attack us. There's all kinds of things we could talk about. Let me talk about a couple. Maybe there's somebody here today, you're in a transactional relationship. You're in a relationship with somebody that you don't really love and definitely doesn't love you, but you need something, or at least you feel like you need something. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your sexual relationship. It just could be something in your family going on. But you're like, I need, I need something. I need something to be whole. And you know, I, I really would not be in a relationship with this person otherwise, but I need it. But here's the problem with being in a transactional relationship. They want something from you. Because you see, the thing about it is, if they don't get what they want from you, then they will stop giving you what you feel like you need to have. It's a transactional relationship. It's not a real love relationship. Now, let me just say this to anybody in a transactional relationship. Number one, you'll instantly become that person's servant because you'll be terrified that you're going to do something and that person will leave you, leave your life. But here's the big thing. You'll instantly become that person's servant, but just in a matter of time, that person is going to attack you. I don't mean necessarily physically, but they're going to attack you because there'll be a point in that relationship, so-called, where you'll just say, you know what, I can't, I, it's a bridge too far. I cannot give this person what they want. And this person who is claimed to be your friend, claimed to be your lover, you'll discover that they'll become your enemy. That's the problem with a transactional relationship. See, anytime we depend on anything or anyone instead of God, we'll instantly become its slave and ultimately it will attack us just like Ahaz. And then there are some here today that you use alcohol or drugs and you feel like you have to have it. Man, just got to have this opioid. I just got to have this. I, I just, I just got to have this alcohol. And here's what, what someone would say, just to cope. It's not like I'm trying to have necessarily the feeling of being high. That left me a long time ago. It's just I'm chasing this. I got to have this. And, and I'm deeply concerned about this. In the last 18 months, I've, New Spring tends to be a younger church. I've had three funerals for people that weren't yet 25 that were fentanyl overdoses. And these are, these are good young people. I, I don't do well with funeral uh, caskets and brown hair. And they just thought they were getting an opioid, but they didn't know it was laced with fentanyl. I have a pastor friend who just talked to this week. He's got a funeral for a 16-year-old girl, fentanyl-laced opioid. I mean, and again, you got to realize, that I just don't think, these are, I don't think these are young people that are bad. I just think they're struggling, and it's like, i got to have this. But always remember that anything you depend on instead of God, you'll instantly become its slave, and ultimately it will attack you. And that's what happened to Ahaz. So, if you're God, what are you going to do with Ahaz? I mean, because, I mean, the guy has just flipped you off with both hands repeatedly, and, and instead of asking you for help, he goes to the enemy. If your God is like, I just think I'm finished with you. No. That's what blows my mind. And ultimately, this is why I'm telling you this story. God said to Isaiah, go out to meet King Ahaz 
And in a moment, you're going to see God's clear message. God was like, tell him he doesn't have to go to the Assyrians. Tell him I want to help him have a different future. Now, a lot of you have been listening to me speak at New Spring for a lot of years, and you've been sitting out there with something in your hip pocket. You've been thinking about this, and you're like, Mark, why in the world, if you're going to talk about God's plans for our lives, why would you pick somebody like Ahaz? And I'll tell you why right now. Here was a guy who was evil. He was an idolater. He was wicked, and yet God wanted to enroll him in Jeremiah 29, 11. And here's my point. If God would do that for Ahaz... He will do this for you. You haven't sacrificed your children in a fire. You haven't bowed down before idols. I mean, if God would do this for this man, after all he did, God's going to do this for you. So I've told you this story just so that nobody here will walk out of here and say, well, this is not for me. God will enroll anyone into his awesome plans for the future who will let him. But now, let's go to the second thought. There's a catch. Not a hard catch, but there's a catch. God will orchestrate, but we have to cooperate. One more time. We have to cooperate. God will plan, he'll execute, but we have to cooperate. So what does this cooperation look like? Well, let's just look at the Bible here in this story. Here's the first thing. God said to Isaiah, tell him to stop worrying. See, Ahaz had gotten into all this trouble because he was worrying. Why do you think he offered his son as a sacrifice in the fire? He just didn't think he had a good future. He was worried about his future, so maybe this will help. I mean, why did he go ask the king of Assyria for help? He was worried. Worrying here was causing him to do so much self-harm. And so God said, I want to help him, but first of all, tell him to stop worrying. What is worry? Worry is looking at your future and factoring God out. That's the sin of worry. But there's a definition, because I deal with worry. I mean, I have an anxiety disorder. I'm not not a fearful person, but I do deal with worry sometimes. And I always remind myself what worry is. Worry is a horror movie about our future that has showtimes all day long in our minds. Isn't that true? Because, I mean, so many times I've watched horror movies, they never develop, but when, when I was watching, it sure looked real. God is saying, tell him to turn the movie off. Remember this. If it's big enough to worry about, it's the right size to pray about. Because here's the thing. If you can expend the energy worrying, you can expend the energy praying. Turn that, transition that energy of worrying into prayer. Because God is like, tell him to stop worrying. Now, the second thing that we see in cooperation, let's read and I'll get to it. God said to Ahaz, don't panic over these two burnout cases, kings of Israel and Syria. They talk big, but there's nothing to them. They plotted to do you harm. In other words, God's not in denial here. He's saying, yeah, you got two major powers on your north border. They've been plotting to do you harm. They said, let's go to war against Judah, dismember it, take it for ourselves. But verse 7, God the master, love that. God the master says, it won't happen. It won't happen. Here, this is interesting because, see, if you could have talked to Ahaz and you could have said, in your mind, how would you characterize the army of Syria and the army of Israel? He would say they're like two raging fires. There's just this fire burning out of control on my north border. And God's like, to me, it's like 
you ever charcoal? And you know the, the charcoal briquettes, is that how you say that? Are, you know, they're, they're, they're orange hot and then they turn white. And then after a while, you know, when you're finished, they cool off. And then you go out there a couple of days later and you can pick it up with your hand because it's cold. And God, that's what God is saying. He's saying, those two powers that you think are raging fires to me is just cold charcoal. Here's the second thing. God was saying to Ahaz, remember, your opposition is nothing to God. It may be the problems that you and I are dealing with. It may be big to us, but they're nothing for our God. See, that thing that's threatening your future, it may be huge, God says, but it's nothing to him. And and, and again, the point here is not the size of the opposition or the size of your problem. That's what causes us to worry. We look at our size in distinction or, or juxtaposition against the size of our problem, and we seem so small compared to our problem. But that's the problem. God is saying, look, don't look at your size compared to your problem. Look at the size of God compared to your problem. I've been meditating a lot on Isaiah chapter 40, and I've been looking for a sermon that I can work this into. seems to work really great with this one. Because see, when you get into Isaiah chapter 40, we just get this explanation of how big God is. I think one of the problems that many of us have, we get this idea that God's just like a little bigger version of us. Do you know who your God is? Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? Let's read. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Who has scooped up the ocean in his two hands or measured the sky between his thumb and little finger? Who has put all the earth's dirt in one of his baskets, weighed each mountain and hill? Who could have ever told God what to do or taught him his business? While the nations are but a drop in a bucket, a mere smudge on a window. Watch him sweep up the islands like so much dust off the floor. All the nations are simply, they add up to simply nothing before him. Less than nothing is more like it a minus. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? God sits high above the round ball of the earth. The people look like mere ants. He stretches out the skies like a canvas. The rulers of the earth count nothing for him. Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all this? I love this next line. Who marches this army of stars out each night, counts them off, calls each by name, and never overlooks a single one? Why would you ever complain or whine? Israel saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. This is the God who says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You're not just talking to a little bigger person than you are. You're talking about the one the Bible says he measured the sky with his thumb and little finger. This is the one. I'm so worried. You know, we've heard what the experts say about the economy. They say we could be selling into the worst recession of all time, and we could be. And then there are those of us troubled by this next election. What's going to happen here? And I'm saying we ought to be responsible, but at the end of the day, our future is not in the hands of the economists. Our future is not in the hands of the politicians. Our future is not in the hands of those who try to tell us what to think. Our future is in the hands of Almighty God who created the universe. And when you wake up 
And when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and your heart is troubled and heavy, and even in the stillness of that moment and not praying out loud, you begin to talk in your spirit to your creator. You are talking to the one we just read about in Isaiah chapter 40. And he says, whatever is worrying you is not worrying me. That's our God. Now he orchestrates, but we have to cooperate. Number one, God said, tell him stop worrying. And number two, tell him his problems are nothing to me. And now number three, and this is big. This is, I'm going to end the message here, but this is huge. God says to Isaiah, tell him to give me something to work with. See, God's problem that he has with us is not an absence of power. His problem with us is sometimes we, we're so worried and scared that we don't trust him. That's all that God has ever asked. Because that's the one thing he can't, he, he, he cannot generate your faith. That's our part. And again, the power is God's. The execution of God's plans is up to him, but he needs us to have confidence in him. You remember when Jesus was in his hometown and he went to the synagogue? And there's this interesting little line. The Bible says he could not do many mighty things there because of their unbelief. It doesn't say he wouldn't do it. He said he couldn't. And that's the deal. God's not asking me to plan. God's not asking me to figure it out or work it out. God is like, Mark, you got to trust me. You got to give me something to work with. I'll show you what happened in the text. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Now, he knew he was working with a guy that was really slow, so God throws him a really slow pitch. He might have been T-ball. I mean, God just might have said it on the T. And he's like, Ahaz, look, I know you're struggling here. Ask me for a sign. Now look at the text. Make it as difficult as you want. As high as heaven or as deep as a place of the dead. And 1115 audience tends to be a little younger. So I'm going to find out where my old people are here today. Um, Any of you remember Church Lady on Saturday Night Live? Okay, because Ahaz goes full bore Church Lady on God right now. He has this, no, I will not test the Lord like that. You ever know anybody? I mean, if you've ever been in religion, do you ever meet anybody that's like more spiritual than God? <laughs> and it's so artificial and you just like want to wash your hands after you talk to them. <laughs> this is uber hyper-religious. And we know what a wicked guy is. Well, all of a sudden he's turning very religious, very stained glass, very pipe organ. And he says to God, I don't want to do that. I want to ask you for a sign. And about that time, his pastor Isaiah said, isn't it enough? To, in other words, Isaiah's like, you are freaking me out, boy. I'm just human. I'm your pastor, but I'm getting so tired of you. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience, but you also exhaust the patience of my God as well? And then he says, all right, then, if you won't ask for a sign, let me just show you how big God is. The Lord himself, and here's the thing. Some of you know this person. You didn't know you knew this because every Christmas we talk about it. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive and have a child. She'll give birth to a son, which we call Emmanuel, which is God with us. Did you know that that great verse we use at Christmas was said to this crazy guy, Ahaz? Do you know what's being said here? God is like, you want to see what I can do? 
I mean, you won't even ask me for a sign. You, you, you want to get a sense of how big I am? Let me, let me show you what I will do. Let me, you know, I've got plans, and not just plans for you. I've got plans for the whole world, because see, the whole world is lost and hopeless without me. Let me show you what I'll do. I'll just bring my son into the world, the product of a virgin, because see, Jesus was born of a human mother, and God is his father in this incredibly wonderful conception. And I know what somebody's going to say. Somebody's going to say, Mark, that is biologically impossible. Hence the point. God is like, you want to see what I can do? Watch me save the world. Watch, watch me send my son into the world. And watch me make a way for broken people like us. Watch me, make, watch me make a way for those people to go to heaven and to have all their sins forgiven and their darkness washed, washed away. Watch me make a way for them to have God inside of them so that when they get to the place where death comes, they will just slip out of this life and slip into the realm of God because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with God. God is like, you know what, Ahaz, meet Jesus. Meet Jesus. And I just said today, this very, very simple, maybe even simplistic message is this, just two thoughts. Number one, nobody needs to walk out of here today and say, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not for me. It is for anybody who will cooperate with God. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. doesn't matter how many dark sins are in your past. That guilt keeps you awake at night. Let go of that tonight because today God is saying, I can work with you. If he can work with Ahaz, he can work with you. And then number two, cooperate. Well, let's, uh, I need to end the message because I'm in overtime, aren't I? Let's pray. Yeah, I don't know how in the world I can finish this message without telling you about the opportunity that you have, the greatest opportunity of all. Remember what God told Ahaz? I'm going to show you how great I am. I'm going to bring my son into the world. And that's what he did. God, the son who was active in creation, God didn't have any other human being who was perfect that he could save the world with. So he gave his son, Jesus, came down from heaven. He was born as a virgin, lived that life that we can't live, ran the table for 33 years, never did anything wrong, did everything right. And then he took that perfect life and he willingly laid it on a cross. He was nailed there. They plucked out his beard, spat in his face, beat thorns into his head. And for six hours he hung gasping for every breath. He would have to pull up against the nails and push off with the one that held his feet. But he did that because he loved you and he wanted to pay the price for your sin so that you and I would never have to pay the price that we could never pay. We would have had to have gone to hell to pay, but he took our hell for us. And when he got through with that death on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Didn't mean he was finished. He meant God's plan was finished to take care of your sin. Three days later, he walked out of the grave to prove that everything God said is true and he's in heaven today and he's, he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords and he loves you and he wants you to be part of his family. And anyone, according to the Bible, because see, here's the thing, God doesn't ask you to orchestrate, just asks you to cooperate. And cooperation here that makes you a new person, that brings God into your life and gives you the assurance of heaven. Cooperation is in the form of believing. Because that's the thing, you can choose to believe. And if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that he arose from the grave, and if you're willing to commit your trust to him, then according to the promise of God, you will be, your name will be written in the census book of heaven. It'll be there when you get there. And God will move inside of you. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is something you can hold on to every day of your life. 
And God has a wonderful plan for your life. And when the time comes for you to die, you'll close your eyes here and instantly you'll open them in the presence of God. That's an incredibly wonderful deal, especially considering that it's all a gift. And God says, ask. (laughs) We told Ahaz to ask and he was too religious to do it. But we're not. We know we're sinners. And we can ask. I can't be perfect for 30 minutes, but I can ask. And I can take God at his word. Tell you what I'm going to do. This will close our service, so please just be still for a moment. If you would like to pray with me and have this assurance, whether you're on, online, on television, or here in one of our, on our auditoriums, I'm going to pray this prayer slowly and put a break after each sentence, and you can decide if you want to say it to God. don't have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it in your heart. Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner. And I'm broken and I can't fix myself. But your word says you love me. Your word says Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe that. Your word says Jesus rose from the grave. I believe that too. Your word says that if I call in faith that you will hear my prayer. And I believe that. I may not understand it, but I choose to trust you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me, whether you're any, if you're off campus, if you're watching on television or online, just take your phone out and text the word PRAYED to 97000. Follow the instructions. I'll send you this box. There's a New Spring Bible. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God. I talked about this earlier. And then also a journal. I keep wanting one of these. That's got my signature on it, but I don't have one. So, and then some coupons. So, but now if you're in our house today, remember, you, don't even, you can get this before you leave. Just go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give this to you. Thank you. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.